Today's scripture is on page 472. It's Psalm 47. When I was preparing, looking to read this, I see that it says, it's to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. I just was thinking about, I don't know, some of you know that I'm a coach and I've been around a lot of sporting events and and then as I was reading through this and preparing just to think, it's like, okay, these things that the choir master, the sons of Korah were saying, I would think they had a ton of emotion to them. Um, part of me wants to say, clap your hands, all you people. I feel like we should clap our hands. Shout. Shout. <laughs> to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go before the throne of grace before we listen to what God has for us from his word this morning. Father, we have sung that you are a good and gracious king this morning. We've seen a great deal of evidence that that is a true statement. You are good. You are a holy God. All that you do is good. And by your very nature, you are uh, holy and pure and righteous. There is none like you. And you're gracious. We deserved to remain your enemies. We deserved death, eternal death and separation from you. But God, who is rich in mercy, you, Father, you are rich in mercy, and you are full of grace. And by your grace, we have been saved, those of us who have put our faith and trust in your precious Son. And we've sung, Father, how great you are, and you are great. You are higher than the highest. Uh, there's nothing that we can compare you to. Thank you for revealing yourself as the most high God in scripture. And thank you for reminding us that we can see how great you are simply by looking around us and seeing what you have made. But certainly without the truth that is in your word and the life of the Son, we would still be very limited in our understanding of you. So thank you for giving us your word. 
Thank you for sending the Son that we might have God with us and that we might see what it really looks like to image you rightly. I now pray, Father, that uh, nothing I say would be contrary to truth, that it would all be aligned with your heart and your mind, and that there would be nothing confusing about it. Uh, Father, I need your Holy Spirit, therefore, to help me. I cannot adequately represent you apart from the work of the Spirit. And I pray that you would work in the hearts, the minds, and the lives of every person that's here. For those, that are, those of us that are believers, I pray that we would be strengthened and instructed and encouraged and correct, corrected. And if there are any that are watching live stream or that are here present that do not know the Most High God, I pray that your spirit would reveal yourself to them during this time. And I pray this in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. There is a handout over on the table. I will not be offended if you forgot to pick one up and you decide you want to go over and get one. Um, I've always been kind of a note taker, and so whenever there's an opportunity to write down some of the things that I'm hearing, it, I find it helpful. Um, we also review them in our small group, and so I know our small group uh, often takes advantage of that because we have some really good conversations um, about the scriptures and the message. So we're beginning, or we're continuing our series in the names of God, and this morning we're going to look at El Elyon, and this is the name that, that tells us God is God Most High. He is, there is no, no one that compares to him. Um, in Psalm 57.2 it says, I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills, who fulfills his purpose for me. The God, think of that. The God Most High has a purpose for you. The President of the United States doesn't have a purpose for you. The Governor of the State of Wisconsin doesn't have a purpose for you. The Most High God has a purpose for you. In Genesis 14.22, we see the Most High God, and in Psalm 78.35, the title is Lord Most High. God is Most High. And last week, we looked at uh, another word, and if, if we had been limited to just that word, we would still be missing something. Um, we, we still wouldn't know God as completely or fully. Um, when Abram talked to Sodom, kings, the king of Sodom, he said, I've lifted up, and this is in Genesis chapter 14, he said, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram understood that was... It was the work of the Most High God that gave him everything that he had. And it wasn't the working of the king of Sodom. Different names of God tell us different things about God. 
And so, last week when we talked about El Shaddai, I just want to review that briefly. God Almighty. He is Almighty God. If we stopped with El Shaddai, we would have many unanswered questions. Perhaps he is Almighty, but perhaps there's someone with more authority who could redirect his power in harmful ways. Or perhaps he could ignore the higher authority and be a rebel. We, want to, we might want to know, can Almighty God arrive in time to make sure that our desperate needs are met? I mean, he may be Almighty, but if he doesn't show up, if he's not omnipresent, if he's not available, being Almighty is not going to help you or me. It might cause us to wonder if he would use his might for things that are arbitrary or even worse, unloving and unjust, if he wasn't a holy and just God. We might also wonder if, assuming he is a good shepherd, caring for the sheep this year, if next year he might change his mind. And thankfully, God does not change. That's part of who he is. So can we depend on El Shaddai to tell the truth, to be just, good, and kind? I tell you, we can. But it helps us as uh, finite beings to understand some of his other names so that we know him more fully. So let's start by defining El Elyon. This name stresses his strength, his sovereignty, and his supremacy. And we've sung about each of those aspects of him this morning. In, in fact, this is so important to God that he includes something in the Ten Commandments as a priority at the beginning of the commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 3, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is not just a ranking. He is the most high God. This means there are no other gods. So don't decide that you're going to choose one because you're going to be vastly disappointed by an inferior God. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. So Isaiah rightly proclaims that God, the most high God, is the only God. In 2 Kings 19.15, um, Hezekiah says something very interesting, and we're going to actually look at Hezekiah in just a moment here, because I think it's instructive uh, but, but in Hezekiah 19.15, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, in other words, you are very high, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. This is significant because when he said this, there was a real big problem for Judah on the horizon. When he says, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are most high God. You are most high king. You are king of kings. Psalm 86.10 says, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And so, if you hear nothing else this morning, 
God is almighty God, and God is most high God. There are no exceptions or substitutes. God most high, he is strong and sovereign and supreme. Now, on one of the slides, it's a little further down. I, yeah, maybe the next one. There we go. I put some images up there. I wanted to remind us that God is strong like no other. And he is sovereign. When you're playing chess, there's one piece that you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose the king. I, I don't like losing the queen, okay? I, I'd rather not lose the queen. And I personally prefer the, um, the knights, the little horses, okay? Because they're sneaky. I like those. But the one piece, I'm, I'm okay with losing a bishop or a knight or a castle or, and even a queen if I know what I'm doing, okay, which isn't always the case. I don't want to lose the king. The king is most high. The king is sovereign. When it comes to appealing a case, there is no court higher than the Supreme Court. Well, except for the court of heaven. But in our worldly system, we consider whatever the Supreme Court says is the final answer unless they change their mind later. That just goes to show you how supreme some of their supreme thinking is. And only at Pizza Hut, and maybe this is true of some other pizza chains too, there is a supreme pizza that's not supreme. There's the super supreme pizza. Marketing just cannot settle for supreme. They've got to have super supreme. Let me suggest that God is better than super supreme. He's high and lifted up. So in our text this morning, J.P. read Psalm 47. And I, I want you to realize two things when we read the first part of this and the balance of it. I'm going to read it. Clap your hands, all peoples. All peoples. We actually talked a little bit about this in Adult Discipleship Hour in our class that Jason led this morning. Who are all? Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, that is El Elyon, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And so here's what I want us to know and to rest in and to believe and to have confidence in based on God's truth. You can rejoice and rest in God Most High. He is a resting place for sinners who have been rescued by the Son. And he is also worthy of our praise and rejoicing. The main idea this morning is that our goals, priorities, and everyday choices must be submitted to the final, exclusive, ultimate, supreme authority of God Most High, of El Elyon. Now, this might just be a concept. Okay, so if, if I were to ask you, is God Almighty, most of you would say, yeah, conceptually I agree with that. That's true. I can find that in the Bible. And if I asked you, is God most high, you would say, well, yes, he's most high. I don't know of anyone higher. But there's a difference between conceptually agreeing to some truth and believing it and doing something with it and living a certain way because of it. 
There's a huge chasm there. I like the commentary series, Exalting Jesus. And in that, that Exalting Jesus commentary, uh, the author says this, God has a marvelous way as we walk with him, and I believe this is in your notes, as we walk with him of taking us through certain experiences or circumstances in order for us to personally experience something we have known to be true of him. He will use these moments not only to reveal himself to us, but also to make himself feel more real and more personal than he ever seemed before. Through those times, we move beyond just knowing about God to actually knowing God. I've known a lot about God, but I've continued to be knowing God more deeply through life's experiences, both good and difficult. So let's just think about a couple of individuals in the scriptures. Did Peter know that Jesus could walk on water? Yeah, he saw it. He, he saw Jesus do it. I mean, he didn't know it until he saw Jesus do it, but he, when he saw Jesus do it, he said, Jesus can walk on water. And there was no delusion in, in Peter's mind about that there's no secret glass layer underneath it that was staged by Hollywood. This is just Jesus walking on water. And so Peter thinks, well, then it's possible to walk on water. If Jesus can do it, he says to Jesus, call me out to you, Lord, I'm, I'd like to walk on water too. And so that's experientially. He knew Jesus, and he knew Jesus could walk on water. Now he's saying... Um, I'm not, I've never done this walking on water. I've always been in a boat. You know, I'm a fisherman. I'm not real confident in unfrozen water. But experientially, he learned some great lessons that day. He learned more than one lesson that day. He learned that when he, his fear overcame his faith, that he started to sink. And then Jesus, he knew Jesus rescued him. He learned a lot of things that day that he otherwise wouldn't have known if he had just been on the shore walk, watching Jesus walk across the Sea of Galilee. He could have affirmed, yep, I saw that. He did that. And it would have meant very little to him in the end. So I want you to pretend. When we're little, we tend to do a lot of pretending. I used to pretend that I was a cowboy when I was little. And I had guns, I had a cowboy hat. I think my mom made a vest for us. Mom made a, a horse. It was a stick with a horse head on it. I think mom made the horse head out of fabric. And we would, we would play cowboys. I pretended. So I want you to put, I want you to go back into your childhood. Some of you are still there, so that's okay. Um, but if you're, if you're not there, I want you to kind of go with me into the childhood world of let's pretend. But it's not going to be Cinderella. Okay, it's not going to be some fable. We're going to look at scripture. And I want to make you king of Jerusalem, and the year is 715 B.C. And you are Hezekiah. Pretend. Okay, I realize some of you are ladies. Pretend you're Hezekiah. Uh, some, some, I don't know how to even make that name female. Pretend you're Hezekiah. You're the son of a wicked king, Ahaz. You didn't get a good start in life. 
who reigned over the southern kingdom of Judah for 29 years. That is King Hezekiah. So you've got 29 years of ruling to do. From 715 to 686 BC, you became king in, when you were 25 years old. 2 Kings 18, 1-2, if you want to check that out. You are a good king. So you're not like your dad. You don't have to be like your dad. 2 Kings says this, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that, is, that David his father had done. It's significant that he calls him the son of David because he shows up in Matthew's account of the genealogy of the greatest king that ever lived. And David wasn't his immediate father. David was the first in the line of David that would lead to Messiah. So you are important. You're pretending, okay? We're pretending you're important. You might not be any more than I'm important. But we're going to pretend that you're important. Because God lists you in Matthew's gospel. And it lists the bad father just before your name. Because why? Because God promised David a son would be on the throne. And he was never deterred by bad kings or good kings or marginally good kings or average kings or terribly wicked kings. Never lost sight of the goal that he was going to accomplish. Now let's flip some calendar pages. You're now 29 years old. It's four years later. You hear that Samaria has been attacked by the Assyrians. That's your neighbor to the north. The king of Assyria is a nasty dude. His army is full of nasty dudes. You're the king, but you're not feeling very kingly at the moment. You are now 31. You hear that the land to the north, Samaria, has fallen to King Shalmaneser's brutal army. There are at least 185,000 people in King Salmaneser's army. They are like the U.S. Marines. When I was in the Navy, you know who guarded the Navy base? Not the Navy. You don't put Navy guys out to guard anything. Well, you do, but you give them a gun and you put them behind the barricade where the Marines are, right? It's like if somebody gets past the Marines, take your best shot, okay? <laughs> See if you can take out the enemy. The Marines, there are about 180,000 active duty Marines today in the entire Marine Corps. We're talking about this is a big army. This is a nasty army. They are tough warriors. The Assyrian army was made up of 185,000 fierce and heartless killers. Well, what are you going to do, Hezekiah? Things get worse when you're 39 years old. All of your frontline strategic forts are destroyed. You're in Jerusalem. All the forts that stand between you and Samaria and these bad dudes that are coming, they've been wiped out. You just lost another major portion of your army. Let's just pretend, okay? Things are not looking real good for you. We would have never pretended this when I was a boy. I mean, we, we, we always want to be the good guys, the winners, right? The white hats. We didn't wear black hats. But it doesn't stop there. Now the great Assyrian army approaches your capital city of Jerusalem. 
Assyria's minister of propaganda wants everybody in your kingdom to be afraid. To demoralize your citizens, the Assyrian king declares, Hezekiah's men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. That's what the minister of propaganda is telling all of your remaining soldiers. The enemy further calls into question the stature of the most high God. That was a huge mistake on his part. Because this is what he says in chapter 18 of 2 Kings, verses 32 through 35. God says to Hezekiah, do not listen. No, the king says, do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Don't, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's wrong. Okay? And here's what he says. To substantiate his claim, he says... Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand out of the hand of the king of Assyria? I'm mean. I got a mean machine, and I'm coming to get you. And none of the gods has ever saved anybody from me. Where are the gods of Hamath and Erpod? Where are the gods of Sepharvirim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their hands their lands out of my hand, that the Lord, whoever he is, should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So let's just pretend you just heard that message. Okay, Hezekiah, I I ask you, what are you going to do? Do you know what your name means, Hezekiah? His name means Yahweh strengthens, or Jehovah strengthens is my strength. In other words, he's not looking at the guys on, the, on the, 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 the wall around the city saying, well, there's my strength. And he didn't call all of his generals in and say, you guys are my strength. We need to resolve this problem. God takes personal offense at what the king of Assyria is saying. And what Hezekiah does in chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, he hears this, he tears his clothes, he covers himself with sackcloth, and he goes to the house of the Lord. And then he sends an emissary to the prophet Isaiah, and he says this message. This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God, he's talking to Isaiah, heard all the words of Rabishah, whom his master, king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. God takes personal offense at somebody declaring that he's somehow equal to or inferior to the rest of the gods that this king knows. And the balance of chapter 19 tells us, here's the good news if you're Hezekiah, if you're pretending to be Hezekiah. The good news is God decides somehow to kill 185,000 marine-hardened, war-ready, terrible, disciplined fighters like that. 
and you didn't do anything. You, you, all you did was pray and say, we trust the Most High God. We can trust him. So I want, want to talk about three things. And this was a long introduction, but I think it's important sometimes to step into a real situation and see how it plays out in real life. You see, Hezekiah knew about the Most High God. That's why he cleaned up all the things that his dad made a mess of. But he really started knowing the Most High God in these passages that we just looked at. So I want to look at who is God Most High, our response to God Most High, and that we should rest in hopeful expectation. First of all, who is this God Most High? As New Testament believers, we know that, in fact, this King, this God Most High, is King Jesus. And so that means that Psalm 47 is actually celebrating King Jesus. There, there's reason to see him when we read the Psalms. Certainly we see him when we read Psalm 23 and Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, but we miss it if we assume that's the only place where we see him. We see him in this Psalm as well. In Revelation, John says that Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, is the ruler of kings of earth. So he's in charge of all of the kings of this earth. In Revelation 17, 14, it says that there's going to be those that seek to go against this king. It says they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And toward the end of the book of Revelation, it says this in Revelation 19:16, And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And all those other kings are nothing when compared to the king of kings. So let me pause for just a, a brief application. 1 Timothy 6, verses 12 through 16 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. In other words, trust most high God for the things that you are facing in your life. He will display his mighty works at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So we need to fight with faith. We need to trust Most High God. One of the elements of that is to make disciples. If he is Most High God and he has all authority, and Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, what does the all authority the Most High God want from me? That's a legitimate question. And we need to know the answer to that. So Jesus made it abundantly clear to us in Matthew 28. You're very familiar with this passage. Where Jesus came to them and said to them in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything or all that I've commanded you. And behold, 
I'm with you always to the end of the age. Most High God is with you if you are a follower of Jesus. There, there's nothing that can happen to you outside of the rule of Almighty God and the power of Almighty God. So let me ask you, can I, can I maybe step on some toes? I don't like to, okay? I, I, I really don't like stepping on toes. I know what it, when I get my toes stepped on, that hurts, okay? Jesus wants us to make disciples. So I have to ask myself, and I have to ask you, are you making disciples? Let me ask you this question. Do you know everything you need to know to make disciples? Do you feel like you've totally arrived, you could, you could handle disciple-making completely, fully, do, do it really wonderfully with no outside help whatsoever? I, I can't say that. If you can, I'd like to meet with you and talk with you and gain some great wisdom from you after the service. So let me suggest that the next class in adult discipleship about transforming discipleship might have some value. If you want to obey God Most High, now there may be other vehicles that you can use to, to achieve the same end. So I don't want to say if you don't come, you're a, a terrible sinner, okay? But I do want to suggest that I think this series on transforming discipleship has great potential to help me be a better disciple and better disciple maker. And here's how I know that. I've got evidence. I've been meeting with Austin Kramer. Now he's the one that wanted to meet with me. I didn't ask him, okay? I was delighted that he asked me. We meet weekly. Guess who benefits from our conversations about discipleship? Well, Austin, of course. He's the guy that came to me. But that's an incomplete answer. It's abundantly incomplete. It's completely incomplete. Because I'm benefiting from that time of discipleship with Austin Kramer. Now, there was a time when I was a young man and Dr. Glenn Frankie was discipling me on Friday mornings for years. And many years later, Cindy and I were at dinner with Glenn and Shirley Frankie and one of their daughters at a nice restaurant. And with, and I deeply appreciated his discipleship efforts in my life. And with tears in his eyes, he said, those breakfasts were some of the best parts of my life. So I feel, maybe you guessed, I feel pretty passionate about this. I think there's great value in learning to be good disciples and to be good at discipling because God Most High wants us to do that. Pardon me for stepping on toes. So what's our response to God Most High? Well, the psalmist helps us out. I love the way 
<laughs> JP read this. Clap your hands. I'm not a clapper. I'll admit, I'll admit it. Shame on me. <sighs> Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Well, here's how we respond. We praise him. We sing praises to him. Even if your voice is not all that great, sing praises to him. He made your voice. He knows your weaknesses. He's not disappointed in the sound of your voice if you praise him. Praise him. We will be singing, there is a higher throne. There is a higher throne. And <laughs> believing hearts find promised grace, salvation comes. Hear heaven's voices sing, their thunderous anthem rings through emerald courts and sapphire skies. Their praises rise, all glory, wisdom, power, strength, thanks, and honor are to God our King who reigns on high forevermore. Praise God. One of our responses is to praise God because the Lamb has become our shepherd king. We will reign with him. Let that boggle your mind just a little bit. The most high God wants you and me to reign with him. I also think that we should rest in hopeful expectation. Look at verse 8. It says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. God is seated. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. The work was done. He is a great Savior. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but I would encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It reminds us, I'm just going to read one phrase, Jesus did complete the saving work, and he ascended, and he sat down. The work is done. Rest in his work. Your works are a response of love and obedience, but they're not saving works. They're just a love response. Ephesians 1, 18 to 21 says, that Christ, when he was raised from the dead, God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but is in the one that's yet to come. So when we read Psalm 47, we should see King Jesus because he is God. Verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He is king of kings. And that's why it's written on him when we see him in Revelation. There's a spiritual that reminds us that we can rest. It's a spiritual that says this. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty baby in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. 
In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody that are in Christ Jesus. And no one can pluck you out of the Father's hands because he is God Almighty. He is God Most High. He is King of Kings. Praise him and rest in him. So I may have missed something in my notes. It's highly probable. Okay. They're a guide. But I, I think back to the song that we sang last Sunday, El Shaddai. The English words to that chorus are this. God Almighty, God Almighty, God in the highest, El Elyon. That song incorporates both God Almighty, El Shaddai, and God in the highest, God Almighty, El Elyon. And here's our response in that song. We will love you, O Lord, God Almighty. And that is shown by what we do. And that's also shown by what we don't do. So on a Sunday morning, we can agree to this. Yep, God is Almighty. God is the highest one, the high God, the mighty God, the most high God. But during this week, there's going to be things that happen like, well, remember pretending to be Hezekiah? There's going to be things that scare you, that discourage you, that may disappoint you. I hope you remember Psalm 47. I hope you remember that there is a most high God who cares infinitely for you. So, our goals, our priorities, our everyday choices must be submitted to the final, exclusive, ultimate, supreme authority of El Elyon. Rest in it, rejoice in it, and make disciples because they need to know God Almighty and they need to know God Most High. If we believe in missions, and I believe we do, then I just wanted to show you a picture of the, the Johns one more time. Because we need to be reminded frequently to pray for them. Let me encourage you to do that in your small groups. Let me encourage you to do that with your spouses. Um, Perhaps as a church, we can be more thoughtful about how we pray for them and how we give to them. And I'm not suggesting any special gifts or anything. I'm just saying they're facing a lot of difficulties, and perhaps we can be helped. Earlier in the service, I also talked about CareNet. I want to share the vision statement of CareNet with you. Our mission is to share the love of Christ and affirm the sanctity of human life by coming alongside those at risk of or impacted by an unexpected pr pregnancy with physical, emotional, and spiritual support. I can get behind that because they care about the presenting the love of Christ to hurting people. That's what they need. In your handout and also on the screen are some suggested questions for discussion. Um, one of the benefits of our small group, I think, is having conversation about the truths that we heard and praying for one another in regard to those truths. So if you're not part of a small group, let me encourage you to consider that as well.